All right, so this Sunday, if, if you know your church calendar, and, and I don't expect that you have to or need to, but uh, this may or may not mean anything to you, but it's, this Sunday is what's known in the Christian calendar as Transfiguration Sunday, which is all very exciting. Uh, it's based on an event uh, particularly and specifically out of Mark chapter 9, verses 2 to 9. Um, but before I read that passage, which I will in just a moment, it's kind of worth noting Context is important with most things, but particularly in Scripture. And it's kind of worth noting what happened six days prior to what we call Transfiguration Sunday. And so six days prior, basically what happens is that Jesus tries to explain to his disciples the likely fate that kind of awaits him. So he intimates the torture and the murder at the hands of the priests and the religious leaders, uh, essentially agreed to by the Roman Empire, Uh, But he goes on to talk about resurrection, about how three days later he would be raised from the dead. And um, what happens in this interaction is that disciples, like most things, don't always react well or the way that we think that they should. And particularly Peter doesn't react very well to that conversation, which launches Jesus into uh, a relatively famous kind of passage where he talks about taking up our cross and following him kind of narrative. And uh, it says this, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? So this is the context leading up to this event that we know as Transfiguration Sunday. So. Continuing from Mark 9, verse 2, it says this, Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus and Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And he said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were all terrified. Which kind of just as an aside, I think the learning from that is if you don't know what to say, sometimes it's best not to say anything. And then a cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son, listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone and they saw only Jesus with them. And as they went back down the mountain, Jesus told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the son of man had risen from the dead. So this event is what we know as Transfiguration Sunday. So Jesus, Peter, James and John climb a mountain Uh, which we think was called Mount Tabor. And Jesus is transfigured into dazzling light and the Israelite prophets and leaders, Moses and Elijah, kind of rock up to this encounter. And uh, Peter has this very nervous moment and he says something foolish, not for the first or the last time. And a voice from the cloud declares Jesus as the Son of God and asks them to listen to him. And then they descend the mountain and Jesus swears them to secrecy until after the resurrection. And so it's kind of one of these events where we go, what do we make of all this? You know, what, what do we do with this kind of eventful mountain trek? And so I kind of have a few takes on that, but um, I think what we see in part is that the disciples 
as is so often true, and for me very comforting, are kind of bumbling and clueless. They really just have no idea. They just kind of go along. And they say really foolish things in hindsight. And they see this transfiguration and their response is, let's create monuments, let's, let's create shrines, let's try and kind of tie this event to something that has some kind of meaning and relevance in our lives and let's try and commemorate it in the way that we know how to commemorate things. But then on the way down the mountain, Jesus says something that really strikes his followers as kind of strange. He insists that they absolutely tell no one of their kind of mountaintop experience, at least until after Jesus rises from the dead. And so the question that the disciples, that Peter and co, and I guess are, us are kind of left with is, firstly, and we have the benefit of hindsight, but firstly, what could this kind of rising from the dead mean? But also, why were the disciples forbidden to speak of the transfiguration until after that rising? I mean, what we know in terms of the answer to the first question is that the rising from the dead, the resurrection, was really to become the central tenet of the Christian faith, the, the dead born to life, the, the renewal of all things on earth as it is in heaven, the, the revelation of the kingdom of God. But then they're still kind of left with this other pesky question, which is, well, why would Jesus care? Why would it matter whether or not they kind of tell people about this kind of dazzling white Omo kind of experience and his hanging out with Moses and Elijah? Like surely, surely spreading that story, surely spreading the story of the transfiguration and the bringing together of, of the law and the prophets and the new covenant actually would have kind of had a profound impact. It would have had a profound impact on, on the religious leaders who were later going to torture and murder Jesus. It would have had a profound impact on the conservative religious right of the time and they might have even been swayed that maybe Jesus was kind of the real deal. But Jesus says no. He says, don't tell anyone. Don't, don't tell anyone until after my death and resurrection. Don't tell anyone until and this is kind of my take on it, but don't tell anyone until this death can be viewed in the context of everything else, until such that it's really not that remarkable a thing that happened. Don't kind of say anything because the time is not right. And so for Jesus, this is really kind of an issue of timing. There's this kind of very strong narrative, and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, um, when I was a kid growing up in school, you know, we studied uh, Sir Edmund Hillary you know, climbing um, Mount Everest for the first time, you know, the first person, which, you know, in the context of history and a less white history, we know that really Sherpas had kind of been there before him, but this was the first guy that we know of. Um, but there's this kind of, this strong narrative in, in the human kind of story of conquering the mountain, of of reaching the mountaintop, of kind of reaching the peak and the summit. There's, there's kind of this sense that the mountain is the ultimate goal. But to me, I, I think what this story highlights is that the mountaintop is not the final destination. You know, this event in Jesus' story is really just part of a much bigger and a, and a much larger journey. It's very much far from the whole story and it's certainly not in any way the end point uh, or the prize that Jesus is talking about. And so 
he's very clear that the goal is not the mountaintop. Certainly the mountain has a very clear role. You know, the, the mountain offers an amazing view and the mountain offers escape and the mountain offers uh, time to pause and time to review and time to reflect and time to refresh. The mountain kind of offers perspective of the journey ahead and I guess a view of the, of the valley below. And so the mountain kind of offers us a glimpse of where we're going and maybe where we've come from, but it's kind of not there for us to set up a permanent camp. And so for me, I think there's this kind of clear lesson that, yeah, sure, visit the mountain. The mountain's great, but recognize that at the end of the day, we need to live in the valley. The mountaintop experience is really there for us to kind of prepare us for what's ahead. And, you know, I've had, I guess, many what I would call mountaintop experiences in my life, both literally and kind of figuratively or metaphorically, uh, moments where I've just had this kind of sense of profound clarity and where everything seems to have fallen into place and seemed to have come together and everything's kind of felt like it was building to this point and, and uh, kind of informing the next steps. And uh, one thing that I love about the job that I do is this element of travel um, to get up in a plane and uh, to kind of be able to look down and, and view the earth kind of through the clouds and see the landscape and, and see kind of winding rivers and, and cities and, and just kind of, I find that experience uh, inspiring and uh, liberating. It's kind of liberating for me to kind of get up in the air and just kind of look down on stuff. But the reality is, and this technology doesn't exist, certainly I can't stay in the air forever. You know, like at some point, <laughs> at some point I need to land and, uh, well at least the pilot does. And uh, the danger, I think, is that we constantly aspire for this kind of mountaintop experience. We we constantly perceive that getting there is, is kind of the destination when it's really just this kind of moment in time to give us pause to, to kind of face what we're living and experiencing and sometimes enduring in the valley. And so I don't know, maybe when I was kind of reflecting on the message this week, I did have this moment where I thought maybe I'm old and maybe I'm cynical and there's probably no maybe about that. I am probably old and cynical. Um, but I, I kind of think this pursuit of happiness that we have in our society, I don't know, I feel like it's overrated. It's, we pursue happiness, we, we pursue the mountain and we get there, whatever there is for us. And we look around and we kind of realize that it's fleeting and that real meaning is actually found in the valley, that real meaning is found uh, in the trials and in the challenges and in the daily grind. And real meaning is kind of forged in, in just doing the stuff, just, just doing the stuff that needs to be done day in and day out. And Martin Luther King, um, it's a very famous speech, and it was actually to become his final speech before he was assassinated, he, he describes reaching the mountaintop. And he basically kind of talks about this as this kind of vision of hope, uh, as the kingdom of God, of heaven on earth. But 
there's this very clear sense in that speech that he never imagines that the mountaintop was kind of the dwelling place. He, he came down. He came down from the mountain and, and he came down to the streets and, and he walked among the working class people in Mel Memphis and he came to the valley to confront empire and he came down the mountain to, to fight for the liberation and the freedom of his people. He knew that the mountain offered perspective, but he also knew that the real work kind of happened in the valley. And so I think that we kind of do ourselves and our neighbours and our communities almost a disservice when we place too much value on this kind of mountaintop experience. You know, we all know this firsthand, life is messy and life is challenging and life is complex and life is uncertain and life is lived and worked out and formed in the valley and grief and you know all the things that we don't necessarily want to face but that we live whether we like it or not grief and loss and pain and heartache and mystery I think really offer as much value to our life as exhilaration and success and epiphany you know light only has value in the context of darkness and so I think that the joy of the human experience, uh, a life well lived, is kind of when we embrace it all, when we, uh, when we feel, when we're vulnerable, when we're open, when we uh, are willing to kind of stand in the valley and stare down fear and stare down despair as much as we pursue happiness and bliss. So I realize this is all a bit kind of existential and philosophical tonight. Uh, I haven't got very political, which is kind of deliberate. I feel like I do that enough. Um, but I, I kind of think that we would do well to find contentment in the valley. I, I think that is often our challenge. Having come from a Pentecostal church background, it was all about, you know, how do we, how do we meet God today? And it's like, God's here, you know? God's in the conversation, and God's in the breaking of the bread, and God's in the meal, and and, you know, God's amidst us. You know, I, I, think, I think the discontent of our age is often kind of formed in this desire to, to be anywhere and be anything other than kind of where and who we are right now. And so on the mountain, absolutely, we, we get this opportunity to, to get some perspective. We can kind of get a sense of the bigger picture. Uh, if we're willing to, we can kind of own up to our bias and own up to our prejudice and own up to our privilege. We can kind of get a view of where we are now, but also a sense of the journey ahead and the kind of the change and the growth that might be required in the next season. And I think we have an opportunity to really kind of take this renewed perspective into the valley, into the day-to-day, -to, -day, to, to kind of love and to live in such a way that not only is our life transformed by that mountaintop experience, but that our neighbours' lives and our, our community's lives are transformed too. And so uh, my hope and my prayer for this week is that absolutely, we all want a mountaintop experience. And I pray that you would. I pray that you would find perspective wherever you are right now. I pray that you would find clarity. I pray that you would find a really clear sense of the season and the journey ahead for you. 
But I also pray that the mountaintop experience would be more than kind of just this nice event, that it would equip you, that it would strengthen you, that it would uh, help you to live in the valley with a very clear sense of peace and a very clear sense of purpose. That's my prayer. May it be so. May it be so.